Good day, good evening, well, good night to most of you. Um, welcome to another edition of the Green Bears Podcast. Um, as you can see, I have a different green this week. That is Justin. He is representing the green half of the Green Bears. I am Ken, and welcome, as I said, to another edition of the Green Bears Podcast. This week's episode is called Wreaking Havoc. There's a lot of that going around right now. Justin, what's going on, my brother? I could finally put on a Green Bay Packers shirt and feel happy about it. But everything is good, to be quite honest. I just, I don't know what I was thinking, right? Obviously, in your fantasy league, uh, CJ Strode was coming up against a good, what I thought was a good Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. And Jordan Love was playing what should have been a shaky Rams defense. So stupid me bench CJ Strode the worst game possible. Mm-hmm. I lost. I lost that matchup because they bench CJ Stroud. Jesus Christ! Well, boy, these are the things that happen because in that same said fantasy league, I lost my matchup with AJ this week by one point. I was not even paying attention; otherwise, I would have been stressing. But when I saw this morning that I had lost by one point, yeah, that that didn't feel very good. But speaking of AJ, for those of you who may be wondering where my usual co-host is, he is currently celebrating his nuptials with his wife. Today is his anniversary. So on behalf of the Green Bay Podcast, we want to wish our good brother a happy anniversary. God's richest blessings. And we hope that you know he and his wife will be able to celebrate many years of marital bliss to come. So in that he is not here, Justin more than ably agreed to step in and we are going to have a good time today as we go after it you know as I said this week we're talking about wreaking havoc today is the I think today is probably the only day Justin in the United States where there is no professional sports happening and that's because no, no NBA tonight no NBA tonight nothing is happening tonight and that's because today's election day and you know that that is also wreaking havoc on lots of people because well, some people are going to be happy, others are going to be not so happy. <laughs> today, uh, well, after today's votings, I'm hoping that those of you who are able to vote would get out and do your civic duty because there are lots of things, there are lots of issues on the ballot. We don't just have to wait on presidential elections. As you can see, the president only does so much and everybody else does a lot. And sometimes they do some things that probably should, you know. Um, anyhow, let's let's move on from that. Wreaking havoc. So, as we look at this this NFL week or weekend that has just passed, they had some things that happened that wreaks a havoc for some people. Justin, especially when we look at what happened last Wednesday, and I was so upset. That wreaked havoc on my week because it should have happened on Tuesday and let us talk about it then. No, we have to circle <laughs> all the way back now to what happened on Wednesday last week and that is the firing of Josh McDaniels by the Las Vegas Raiders. Josh McDaniels, as you know, he was the head coach here in Denver and he was fired in 2010. Fast forward 12 years and he gets another opportunity to be a head coach. He's going to replace uh, Rick Bisaccia. You can't say that he's replacing um, John Gruden because John Gruden had already been fired a long time ago. So he's replacing Bisaccia as the head coach of the Raiders. And then he gets fired again. He lasts a season and a half. So we're going to go as we usually do with the weekend recap. In which I'm going to give you a headline that I came up with. You're going to tell me if it's cap or it's not cap. So the first one for the weekend recap is that Josh McDaniels will never get another head coaching job in the NFL. Cap or no cap? Cap. I wish it wasn't cap, right? But the problem is we know Josh McDaniels' skin tone. We know his pigmentation or lack thereof. And the reality is, as we've known or we talk about this, is that people of a certain hue are given more chances than people who have a bit more pigmentation. So, like, I know, can't remember the stats that showed it, but it is less likely for a black head coach to get multiple chances than it is white. And you and I talk about this in the chat outside of these forums, um, saying how the NFL head coaching situation is a family and friends network. 
in that because how he's connected to not just Bill Belichick but Robert Kraft, he gets these multiple chances. If you and I were running a team and not just because of our black bias, but you and I would not have hired Josh McDaniels a second time because we've seen what he did in Denver. You talked about it in Denver, and Denver was a complete embarrassment. Well, I mean, not as much of an atrocity as here in Las Vegas, but we saw what happened in Denver, and we also talk about how many of these coaches continually to get or have their careers made by one Tom Brady. So let's talk about the situation and how bad it was in Las Vegas, why he should never get another head coaching job. You gave up a first and second round pick for Devontae Adams. And I want to say in combined week five and six, I think it were arguably the best wide receiver in the league because he would have led the league in receiving touchdowns over the last two seasons. Arguably the best wide receiver in the league got nine combined targets over week five and week six. Not catches, nine combined targets. That's absolutely unacceptable. And the moment that Antonio Pierce took the job, what's the first thing he said, Ken? The first thing he said was that this team is Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs. They are going to get the ball. Like, like Sports is not hard, Ken. You give your best players the ball. And then on top of that, like, even if you go past just this season alone, you and I have talked about how great a locker room leader Derek Carr is. You ship him out. Like The first thing you come there to do is you ship out Derek Carr. You can't get along with Darren Waller, another one of your locker room leaders. You ship him out as well to the point where Darren Waller refuses to invite you to his wedding. And then it is one thing after another after another in Las Vegas. And you get there and your forte, remember his forte was he is this offensive mastermind, this guru. Would you know, Ken, that before last, yes, today's game or before this weekend's games, the Las Vegas Raiders were not even averaging 16 points to the point where the only teams that average less than them is the Giants and the Patriots. Those are the only two. And your forte. The way you, you hang your hat on offense. You have Devontae Adams. You have Hunter Renfro. You have Josh Jacobs, who led the league in rushing as just a season ago. And you're averaging 15.8 points per game. I would love to see, yes, there is no way that Josh McDaniels gets another head coaching job. But it's over and over and over again. We see these undeserved white head coaches getting chances when they are coaches, minority coaches who prove themselves, not just prove themselves. We talk about what goes on in Pittsburgh and every year for whatever reason, despite the fact that that man never had a losing record, somehow in the media's mouth, we keep saying, what do we keep saying, Ken? He on the hot seat. He on the hot seat. How? How is Mike Tomlin on the hot seat? But over and over and over again, people at Josh McDaniels get jobs. I want to say he will never get another head coaching job. Ken, but reality is we've seen this story play out and I'm going to have to see a cap, Ken. See, well, I'm glad that you ended that the way that you did because this is where you and I will disagree. We, we start the show with a disagreement, Justin. I believe that Josh McDaniels will not get another head, job, head coaching job in the NFL. I hope so. Unless it is the New England Patriots because that's the only place that I can see will think of giving him another chance and the main reason for that is we have seen him now in two places both of them here in the AFC West but two places nonetheless two places that have completely different cultures it's not as if to say that he is going to teams that have this way of doing things that is so entrenched that he cannot make changes right but when he was here in Denver the two seasons that he was here he was 11 and 17. He was 8 and 8 the first season. So he finished with a 500 record. And then he was 3 and 9 and got fired. Since he was in Vegas, he was 6 and 11. And then he was 3 and 5 and got fired. The same second season is all he can win is 3 games. But that's, that's not the point that I'm trying to make here. In the two stops that he's had, Josh McDaniels has lost the locker room both times. And if you're a head coach, that is something that you cannot do. You cannot allow yourself to lose the locker room because when you lose the locker room, like we've seen it in every sport, especially like your beloved Chelsea, for example, places don't lose and managers get fired. So 
when he is doing this constantly, he's always losing locker rooms. He goes in and he seems to think that he needs to make an example out of somebody. So he gets the rid, as you said, of Derek Carr. He gets rid of Darren Waller. But you don't replace them then with anybody that is credible. So you, you got rid of Darren, not Darren Waller, you get rid of Derek Carr, who has been the guy in Vegas. And yes, he has his limitations as a quarterback. But he was an above average quarterback every season that he was in Vegas. Well, Oakland before and then Vegas after. No, you get rid of him and you bring in your guy, Jimmy Garoppolo, who, as soon as you get fired, the next thing that happens is that he gets benched because he's not playing good enough. You give him this big contract, which would suggest that he's supposed to be the starter for the three years that he's going. He's supposed to be there. But he has not played well enough in his first season. And now he's benched. And as you, you may mention just now of him being the offensive guru and not getting the ball to his best players. So how then is this team supposed to score points? You have a defense that is playing pretty well. You have one of the best pass rushers in the game in Miles Crosby. And for some reason, you still can't get the job done. For all that he has done or tried to do in changing the culture and bringing in everybody from New England that he could to make them into to make the Raiders into the Las Vegas Patriots, it has not worked. The culture of the team is worse now, or it was worse then, because with Antonio Pierce in the building, guys are smoking victory cigars. They weren't smoking victory cigars before. So the culture now has taken a shot in the arm. It's been much improved just by getting him out of the building. Everything that we have seen so far says Josh McDaniels should never, ever, ever be another head coach. But the only, like I said, the only place that I can see him potentially getting another chance is in New England because sooner or later, Bill got to hang it up. And they have a way of bringing all the prodigal sons back home in New England. And right now, the team isn't doing very well. You bring him in now and you give him the keys to the offense again. I don't see how it improves based on the personnel that they have. And as you said, Tom Brady is no longer there. So what are we talking about? As I say, you and I agree that you should not get another head coaching job. I just know how this friends and family network works. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I mean, this is a situation to watch closely. But more than likely, you know, if the offensive coordinator for the Patriots, whose name escapes me right now, decides that he's heading to pastures new at the end of the season, Josh will be right next to Bill come September next year. All right, so that's enough of Josh McDaniels because really and truly, he, we, I think we talk about him a little bit more than we should have. But let's move from one Josh to another Josh, and that's Joshua Dobbs. Joshua Dobbs got traded at the deadline, Justin. This man turned up in Minnesota where he was supposed to be the backup this weekend. And even though he was supposed to be the back of this weekend and the starter in the game, unfortunately, he got hurt. And in went Joshua Dobbs. This was a game where the Minnesota Vikings were playing at the Atlanta Falcons. They're not just playing the Atlanta Falcons. They're playing at the Falcons. Another Jeremy, undeserving head coach. But continue. Yeah, we, we, could, we probably got a little tenor. We could talk about him in a second. But the game started with Jaron Hall. He went five for six, and then he got hurt, and in comes Joshua Dobbs. Joshua Dobbs is probably looking at all his players and asking them to turn around their jerseys so he can see what their names are because he has no idea who his linemen are. He probably knows a couple of the wide receivers, but that's about it. He probably hasn't practiced, hasn't done a thing. But you know what Joshua Dobbs said? Much to my joy, Joshua Dobbs led a game-winning drive to beat the Atlanta Falcons. 31 to 28. So, Cal or no Cal, Justin, Joshua Dobbs deserves far more respect than he gets in this NFL community. No Cal. Like, the man 
probably lives out of a carry-on. Like how many teams has Josh Dobbs <laughs> played for? I mean, the man probably knows every single offensive system, but he know in the NFL. But he had to come and learn a new one that like you said in less than a week. Probably got traded Tuesday, landed Wednesday, did not know ten players' names on, on, on the offense. And not only did the team win, right? He threw for two touchdowns and counted for another one on the ground. And you said he won on the road. He didn't only win on the road, Ken. He won he let a comeback win on the road. It's absolutely crazy. Like your first couple of days with inside the building and you're coming there not knowing the offensive system, and you're probably just telling yourself, all right, I'm going to put on a headset, learn as a backup, and eventually going to replace the starter giant hall in probably in a week or two max. But to come in, immediately you have to start. Don't turn over the ball, which is, you know, me, Ken, that is the most important part of quarterbacking, like protecting the football. So you didn't turn over the football, kept the chains moving, and racked up, what, 31 points on the road in Atlanta. Granted, this is a lot that they were talking about, so it's not exactly, you know, a house of horrors that we're speaking about. But reality situation is he's playing on the road, probably some places accustomed to, because Joshua Dobbs has probably played in every single stadium so thus far, <laughs> at least ten times. But you know, playing on the road with a team you do not know, first time in less than a week. I, I can go. I don't even know what else to add because I think that I am selling what happened very, very shortly. Yeah, definitely no cap here. Yeah, so I mean, so you talk about the, the stuff about what happened this weekend, and the, what happened this weekend was remarkable. But I want to take my my praise for Joshua Dobbs in a slightly different direction. Joshua Dobbs turned up in Arizona this season with zero expectations for anything other than this team was going to lose. When you looked at the preseasons. Um, standings or rankings for this this year the Cardinals I think they're either last or second last in terms of odds to win the Super Bowl so everybody expected that the Cardinals were going to suck and suck badly but what did Joshua Dobbs do he said all right well there's no expectations over here nobody's really expecting me to do much except for keep the seat warm until Murray is ready to come back so let me just go here and win some games then. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. And it got to the point where the Arizona Cardinals decided, but boss, you are messing up what we intend to do this season. We are looking to win games because, yeah, you are playing okay, but you're not awkward about for the future. And that little short run that we have there, he's not awkward about for the future either. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to get rid of you because you messing up everybody's money over here. So they trade him over to Minnesota, who basically decided, as I have always been, I've been saying all along this season, if you're trading for a quarterback, you're probably punting on two to three weeks until you can get that new quarterback up to speed. Nope. Not Josh, not Joshua Dobbs. He came in and was like, I'm winning this game this week. Arizona sounds like San Antonio. San Antonio look at DeJounte Murray and said, hold on, DeJounte Murray. We ain't in the business <laughs> of winning games. We want mm-hmm. Victor Wembayama. What are you doing? And immediately shipped him out. So too, as you said with Joshua Dobbs, like, their eyes are obviously on Caleb Williams. What the hell are you doing winning games? You need to get out of here. You're too good. Dude. Too good to, call, to, to, for, to cost us losses here. Exactly. So, like they get rid of Arizona gets rid of Joshua Dobbs, and you know what they do this weekend? They get shut up by the Browns. <laughs> they get shut up by the Browns, twenty-seven to nothing. And right Josh back just, to the right back to game plan. <laughs> right back to game plan. This is what we were. This is what we plan to do this season, and you are not going to come and mess us up, everybody. So the Cardinals one and eight, no, definitely on track for that number one overall pick, and. I did a quick search, Justin. You know that the Cardinals have 11 picks in this draft coming up? And no, I did I not. Think there's, where's my phone? Because I was looking at that not so long ago. Yeah, so they have their pick, and then they have the Houston Texans pick. Nice. So the expectation was that they could have had, conceivably, the first two picks in the draft. But it's not quite working out that way anymore. 
No. But nope, nope, not quite so. Actually, let's move on to that. Let's move on to that because we don't even need to talk about Arthur Smith and the, the dumpster fighters, the Atlanta Falcons. CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud right now is having the season of his life. His young career. He is a rookie. But even though he is a rookie, he is seventh in the league right now in terms of passing yards. Seventh? Mission of Columbus again. Yes, he is seventh with 2,270 passing yards. He has a completion percentage of 62%. Just score quickly. Yes, he has the lowest number of interceptions in the league with a single interception, taken by my Saints, might I add. <laughs> and he has 14 touchdowns to that one pick. Jo- uh, sorry, CJ Stroud is having the Rookie of the Year award probably is already engraved with his name on it and being mailed to his house as we speak. But So there's no question there. However, when we look at what he is doing and you scroll through the other players who have been Offensive Rookie of the Year or Rookie of the Year, I haven't seen somebody that's having a has had a better season than him in quite a while. So question to you, no Justin Capra, no cap. CJ Stroud, he is having the best rookie year since Big Ben. Cap is having the best rookie year ever. Or even probably <laughs> if you had to say one player then probably Dan Marino who had I think had who was also a pro bowler at like twenty touchdowns to just six interceptions. But I think that this is the best rookie quarterback season ever. Because when you look at Ben Roethlisberger, right? Let's start mm-hmm. there, right? That team was not Freddie Kidd or their wins didn't come on offense. Like, I think they managed like, with their middle league or lower with 23 points per game. And then even if you want to talk about they were decent offensively, look at the help that Ben had. Ben had Heinz Ward and Platsko Burris along with arguably a Hall of Fame center in Alan Fineca. When you look at the other side now, where the 15-1 and one Steelers were really led by, it was led by the league's leading defense. I think they gave up less than 16 points per game, the top-scoring defense in the league that year. And you're talking about Troy Palomalu, uh, Joey Porter, um, I'm missing another name, James Farrier, who are all pro bowlers that year. And we know that Troy Palomalu is, is a Hall of Famer. Like, that was where this team's bread and butter lay on the defensive end. So, I mean, it is not to say that Ben didn't have a tremendous year, 17 touchdowns, I think, 11 interceptions. But when you look at what C.J. Stroud is doing, right, this is arguably the youngest team outside of Green Bay. I think Green Bay has the youngest team probably than Houston. You're talking about not just a young team, Ken, but a rookie head coach. Like a rookie head coach, a rookie quarterback, a bunch of young playmakers with him. And this team is not just 500. Sorry to mention this, Ken, but look at the wins that they have, right? They have your Saints. They have beaten the Jaguars. They have beaten the Steelers. And they have beaten the Buccaneers. Like, these are not gimme wins. And if you talk about those four teams, at least two of them, you and I would have predicted, would have win, won their respective divisions this year in terms of the Jaguars and, and, and Saints. And if not the Saints in the NFC South, we would have said, all right, maybe the Buccaneers. This has been quite an impressive rookie season to the point, again, you hear me talk about the most important trait of a quarterback is protecting the football. And what has C.J. Stroud done? Protect the quarterback better than any other quarterback this season to the tune of one interception. Has a rookie can one interception playing in his first season in the pro level with a rookie head coach, one turnover. Like, it's, it's, I've not seen anything since Dan Marino in 1983. Like, forget Ben Roethlisberger, because as I said, Ben had so much help. And not just the squad we talk about. Like, when you look at this coach, I keep forgetting his coach's name, um, Bill Cower, legendary Bill Cower, who would have, what, been to two Super Bowls and won one. His head coach's first season. And you're not turning over the football. Remember, in the draft, we had all that pre-draft talk about C.J. Stroud slipping, people questioning his, you know, his, his 
Wonderlit score or whatever that test has replaced Wonderlit. Talking about his, his, you know, questioning his QB um, IQ. And then on top of that, questioning or his lack of athleticism. And people saying, you know, maybe Anthony Richardson should go number two or even Will Levis. And now there's not a question that this boy has lapped the entire rookie field. So uh, the only reason I'm saying Cap is because he, he has been better than Ben in his rookie season. And the only rookie quarterback, in my estimation, who has been better is probably Dan Marino. So the reason why I picked Ben to be the comparison here is that Ben, as you may mention, he went 13-0 and 0 as a rookie when he was on his way to being an offensive rookie of the year. So if you take that into consideration, because I was, first off, offensive rookie of the year doesn't always go to quarterbacks. Right. It, when I was looking through, I was like, wait a second. I thought I would have more quarterbacks to make this comparison. It, it really doesn't. Like, even my guy Alvin Kamara was the offensive rookie of the year in his running back. Running backs, because if it's told people, if there is one skill position, because there are two positions to me that come immediately ready to play in NFL. And uh, those are offensive linemen and, and running backs. Like, those are the easiest translations. So, yeah, running backs typically win that award. Right, and then when you think of it from a historical perspective, it's only within the last two to three years that we've been throwing quarterbacks in as rookies immediately because many times you will find that a quarterback would sit at least his first year, maybe his first two years before he gets an opportunity. So when C.J. Stroud was picked by the Houston Texans, as you may mention, of how there was all of this negative talk about him, and he said, you know, I'm not a good test taker, I play football. He is doing exactly that. He is playing, dare I say, not just as an offensive rookie or rookie of the year season, but he is playing not just Pro Bowl, but he where this team is at compared to where they should be, according to all of the predictions. See, just Stroud right now is the MVP of the league. Ooh, because like his play has the team at 4-4. Four and four. I am struggling to remember any game this season in which the Texans got blown out. They have been in every game this season, except for the, well, sorry, they got beaten badly by the Ravens. That was the only one. First game of the season. And, okay, and, and, we take and for that. me, right now, Baltimore is the best team in the league. Right, at this moment, right now, for me, Baltimore is number one. But yeah, go ahead. Well, we can come back to that in a second. So, Right, right, so the loss to the Ravens, 25-9. to nine. And then the loss to the Colts when Anthony Richardson ran all over them, 31-20. to 20. And then from there, from there, 37 points on the Jaguars, 30 points on the Steelers. They lost to the Falcons by two points. But they beat my Saints by seven. And the... Well, they lost to the Panthers. The Panthers got their first win over them, 15-13. to 13. And then they come now and come back, win again. Hang 39 points on those Buccaneers. I was so happy to see that 39 <laughs> points. You have no idea. But CJ Stroud right now, the way how he is playing, he is not just playing at a Pro Bowl level, but if this team finishes with a winning record, and, I mean, God forbid, they've been this division. Because right now, they have the tiebreak on the on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who, I think they had a bite this week, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they had a bite. Okay, so what is the Jaguars' record currently? Oh, they're 6-2. Okay, so this is, there's some work to be done. But if there was a final way to win this division, Justin, I don't care what Patrick Mahomes and the Chief does. I don't care what any other team in the league does. CJ Stroud should be lifting that trophy as the MVP because he is playing that good and his team, their their success is fully predicated on everything that he is doing right no now. No argument for me. All right, so now you made mention of those Chiefs. And those Chiefs, well, they're the first team to win, I think, they said, the first team to win in four countries, four separate countries. <laughs> Because they've now won in the U.S., in Mexico, in England, and now they've won in Germany because they played that ridiculously early game in Frankfurt. I don't know what, I don't, well, actually may not have been that early for you. No, Justin, it wasn't that early for me. Yeah, because that would be 8.30 a.m. kickoff for you, mm -hmm. right? I was, I was now rolling over 
and the game was already like midway in the first quarter. 7.30 kickoff here on the mountain top. That was a little bit rough. But the Chiefs, they had a marquee matchup this week against the Miami Dolphins. This would have been a homecoming of sorts for Tyreek Hill because the Chiefs were the home team in this game. And, well, if they were playing an arrowhead, then, you know, Tyree Hill would have been going back to his own stopping ground, but he had to go to um, Frankfurt. Frankfurt, yes. He had to go to Frankfurt to try to, you know, massage the situation. And, well, the Chiefs found a way to stifle him, even going so far as to take the ball directly away from him and run it all the way back for a touchdown. But even though the Chiefs won this game, there are lots of question marks. There were a lot of whispers about this team that were, um, you know, they were not looking the way that you were accustomed to seeing them. And those whispers have now grown into, like, regular cocktail party conversations. And if this continues to the end of the season, people are going to be shouting like they're yodeling off of the mountain. You're who something is wrong with the Chiefs. So, cap or no cap, the Chiefs show more vulnerability in this game than the Dolphins that they beat, despite the win. Cap, and I'll tell you why, Ken. Like, every time you look at this Miami Dolphins, it's like they're paper tigers. They're definitely not dolphins. They're not sharks. They're nothing. They're not they're, any predator that's water. You can re- rule out Miami. That is not them, right? Ah. I mean, we can go over the fact every time they match up with a team with an above 500 record, forget a contender. Every time it's above 500 record, they lose. And this season, it was the Jaguars, the Bills, and now the Chiefs on the road. And this is as vulnerable a Chiefs team as we have seen in this Patrick Mahomes um, era. Um, like, And the thing is, right, not only are they losing to teams that are above 500, Ken, they are struggling every time that they leave South Beach. Every time that they have to pack up and take their offense, it's league league offense that is averaging over 30. I think they are about 20 points per game at the very best every time that they have left their home stadium. Like this team is absolutely struggling. And this is a team that we talk about with Tyreek Hill, with Jalen Waddle, with Raheem Mostert, all this speed, all this athleticism, all this dynamism. And the moment that they match up against a contender and they're not just a contender, but a contender in their own conference. Because at the end of the day, I have to believe we have to, if not Buffalo, at the very least, we expect Jacksonville and Kansas City to be there and thereabouts when the playoffs start. So you're going to have to beat these teams and you're finding absolutely no way to win. I'll make no mistake, right, Ken? I am not saying that the Kansas City Chiefs do not have their own concerns because we've seen it right now. It's a theme this season. Outside of Travis Kelsey, there is absolutely no consistent pass catcher. And it doesn't shock me. Like, Sky Moore is not it. We knew that already. At least I knew that Sky Moore was not that player. There's a reason that the New York Giants moved on from, from Kadir's Tony for uh, Mariah Carey CD because it just was not happening. And then <laughs> you look at the likes of, of, of the rest of the pass catchers, like maybe Jared McKinnon and the like. But th- 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 this, you know, I don't know why... Um, Marquez Valdez Cantlin left Green Bay for those things because right now Marquez Valdez Cantlin would be the undisputed number one if he had stayed in Lambeau. But that's another conversation for another time. Outside of Travis Kelsey, there is absolutely no consistent pass catcher. But why I am not worried about the Chiefs more so than I'm worried about the Dolphins because one, the Chiefs find ways to win these big games, obviously, because your quarterback is Patrick Mahomes, your head coach is Andy Reid, your tight end is Travis Kelsey. But more importantly, Ken, is that this defense is actually very, very, very good and very, very underrated. We don't talk about this defense enough. This defense is, I think, the top five for sure in scoring, the top seven in completion percentage and, 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 and yards per attempt and scoring and all these important stats. This team's defense is exceptionally good, right? And the reason why that is so great, Ken, we talk about this in all sports, the one thing that travels is your defense. And Miami has found out that your offense is not the one that travels, your defense. The defense is travel. And so whether the Kansas City Chiefs are playing in Arrowhead or Frankfurt, they know that they can rely on this defense. And me, we're not accustomed to that in Patrick Mahomes' era. Yes, they needed, I thought they needed another pass catcher at the trade deadline, and they thought they would have made a trade 
I think Las Vegas turned down teams for Devontae Adams, but I thought they would have targeted someone at the trade deadline. But Ken, this defense is very, very good. Miami for me, because all you're doing is beating up on bad teams. You're, Ken, when the playoffs come, name me the bad team that they're going to play. They're not going to play any bad teams there. So, like, if you're not beating the good teams in regular season, what do you think is going to happen? And then if you don't win your division, and I expect them to win their division, right? Guess what happens? You're going to have to play in Kansas City. You're going to have to play in Cincinnati to win a title. That offense, as we've seen, it went to Frankfurt, it's gone to Buffalo. It does not travel, especially in the cold. If you can't, tra- if your offense is not traveling, how are you going to beat the Kansas Cities? How are you going to beat the Cincinnati's? Especially when you don't beat them in the regular season and you don't have that head to head matchup. I, Miami Dolphins, for me, have more concern than the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, fair enough. It's hard to argue against that. Um, I have been waffling on this one quite a bit because I see I see challenges for both teams. Right now, you know, I've been probably Patrick Mahomes' biggest champion, <laughs> especially on this show. This offense that the Chiefs have been running in 2023, I, I, I really don't know. Because, as you said, outside of Travis Kelsey, who is there? There's, there's nobody that has been consistent enough that you can say, we can trust this person. That he's going to show up. He's going to be the one that's going to get open. He's going to be the one to, to, to catch the ball and make something happen. The, the most consistent person on this offense outside of the big two, which is Patrick Mahomes himself and Travis Kelsey, is that crazy head running back that they have, Isaiah Pacheco. Love him. Who, Absolutely love him. Who, Pacheco runs the football as if this is the only thing he can do for the rest of his life and there's no way he's going back. He is a can't-go-about all-star to, to borrow the term from Bomani Jones. Pacheco runs the football with purpose, energy, and with fury. But outside of him, then who is it? There is nobody. Because the the um, receiver rating is named Justin Ross, the rookie that they brought in. Mm-hmm. He has not been consistent at all. You said Avada Scantlin might have been your number one receiver if he had stayed. I beg to differ because right now he's supposed to be the number one receiver in Kansas City with a much better quarterback, and he still can't do it. So if he had Jordan Love trying to football, it would be a lot of the same, if not worse. The other running backs, the Jared McKinnons and the Clyde Edwards Elias, and and these guys, they don't do much. It's like. How is Patrick Mahomes supposed to be putting up the numbers that he's accustomed to putting up three, four hundred yards a game when nobody's catching the football? As you said, Sky Moore, I had hopes for Sky Moore. I was hoping for the best for the youngster, Justin. I know you are you are not high on him, but I was I what else am I supposed to do? So I was hoping for the best for him. He has not lived up to my expectations. Nobody has on this offense. So, yes, the defense now has to be the ones to keep the score down because if they don't keep the score down, then the Kansas City Chiefs can find themselves in problems. But, as you said, maybe look on the other side of the coin now, at the Miami Dolphins. You said the Dolphins right now are sitting top of the league in terms of scoring at like 31 or so points per game. That is buoyed up by scoring 70 Mm -hmm. against the Denver Broncos. Outside of that 70 that they hung on the Broncos, they have scored, and I quote, 36, 24, 20, 31, or 42 is a good score, 31, 31, and now 14. The 42 is against the Panthers. The 31 is against the Patriots. It was 17 against the Eagles, 14 against the Chiefs, and the 20 against the Bills. All of these are losses. And right. Sorry, it said the Jaguars. It was the Eagles that they lost. Sorry, yeah. The Eagles they lost. 
Right. So so you 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 look at who they, as you said you look at who they've lost against, and yeah, you said you think that they're going to win the division. I'm still not so sure because when I look at what they are doing, as you said, is 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 not really traveling when they are not at home, and they. The rest of their schedule, well, they're home for the Raiders, so you expect them to win big. The Jets have a great defense. That's going to be a problem. They go to the Commanders, who still has a pretty decent defense. That's going to be a problem. They have to play the Jets twice. They have to play the Cowboys. They still have the Ravens, and then they have to play the Bills in the last game of the season. I am not sure that they win enough games to overcome the Bills for the division title. So yeah, I will have to look at this, and they have to say that this has this will have to be capped as well, because these dolphins, they don't they don't get it done. But you surprised me though when you said that you think that they are going to win the division. Is that more on them or on the? Bills? It's on the Bills. Sorry, is may not say it because the one thing Miami does does well, they're beat up on bad teams, so they don't make any mistake. And the thing I hear about the Bills is that they play down to whatever competition that they're playing. So you're not going to see Miami losing to. New England, like Buffalo did earlier this season. You're not going to find Miami losing to somebody like an Indianapolis or losing to, you know, like a Chicago. They, 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 Miami does not do that. Like Miami's going to turn up. And if you are a bad team, Miami's going to put points on you and put your way. Buffalo, like you will see Buffalo against, against Cincinnati. You're going to see the heights of Josh Allen and they'll raise to that occasion, even if they lose. Buffalo will raise to that. But the problem is, right, at least with Miami, Miami has, again, something to hang their hat on, and that's their offense when they're at home. Right now... Susie, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> so sorry. Right now, the Buffalo Bills, like, what are they hanging their hat on? Because before it was that defense, that their defense was extremely elite at both stopping the run and in, especially against pass. But no, not only have they lost Tredavious White, but the heartbeat of that offense for me was Matt Milano. No, he's going for the season. And you've seen that defense move from second in one year to seventh. And that was 18th, which is below middle of the pack. And that's not mm -hmm. going to beat, again, the top tier of the competition. Like, when you're trying to beat the likes of, of a Cincinnati, as we saw this weekend, can't get it done like this. So, so, so the defense is no longer as elite as it used to be. And now you're asking Josh Allen to play Superman every week because you have not addressed the one issue you've had over the last three, four years of offense, which is your inconsistency at running the football, either because of the bat or your issues with your offensive lane creating holes. You have not addressed either, and, and you're relying on James Cook. A decent bat, yes, but it's not winning you games. So no, your defense is not good enough to hold good offenses and keep you in games. And then you're asking Josh Allen to do all this, and we've seen... Every time you ask Josh Allen to do too much, what happens, Ken? Ken, this is a man since he's entered the league, has led the league in total turnovers with both interceptions and fumbles combined. Asking him to do too much because you don't have a credible or a decent run pass balance in your offense, and now your defense is compromised. So it was not that I trust in Miami Dolphins more so than I know what I'm going to get from the Buffalo Bills. Okay. Interesting. And now I know this is a conversation that you and I have not had. So when you made that when you made that point, I was like, "Well, this is that's an interesting thought. I think we can we can spend a couple moments to expand on." I agree with you in terms of the fact that the Bills do not assert themselves against teams. They they play to the level of their competition, and it has come back to bite them quite a bit this season. They had no right being in a game with the Jets that went to overtime in the first game of the season. You know the first game of the season from maybe June or July. You had all this time to prepare for one quarterback and you lost an inferior quarterback. You have you should be ashamed of yourself. And then okay and, and, and before you continue and the same thing again. Mm -hmm. You asked um Josh Ann to do everything and what happened? Three interceptions and a lost fumble. I've seen this story over and over and over again. There's nothing to tell me this is cheap. Yeah, and then they go up. All right, so so then they win three games straight. They beat the Raiders, they beat the Commanders, they beat the Dolphins. At that time, 
some people, me included, were saying that the Dolphins were the best team in the league. All right, we had it on that. They beat them 48 to 20. Okay. But then, you know, what happens the very next week? They play against the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that's expected to win their division, and they lose because the Jaguars are better, clearly, are a better team than these Buffalo Bills, 25 to 20. The Bills only score 14 points against the Giants. They lose allowing 29 points to the offensively inept Patriots. Sorry, AJ. And then, I told you the only two teams that have scored less this season than the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, and the Patriots are one of them. And you said he gave it 29 yes. points to them. Yeah, you gave it 29 points to the Patriots. Like, you, you cannot feel confident going into any Buffalo Bills game. Any of them. And I have Josh Allen, I think, on two fantasy leagues in two fantasy teams. And every, every week, I'm like, what am I supposed to get from this guy? Because... He does not give me anything consistent. It is a problem. This is a problem for Buffalo. And the fact that their defense is not playing as well as it used to exacerbates the problem. The fact that they have not brought in a credible number two receiver exacerbates the problem. The fact that they still do not have a competent run game. Now you can say it's cold. It's, I mean, you're playing in Buffalo for crying out loud. You put the ball in the belly of somebody and let them go there and give you three, four yards to carry. They don't have that. Even for crying out loud, if one other team in the NFL should be good at the touch push, it should be Buffalo because you have this big bruiser at quarterback and they're not. Why, again, Ken, because you've not addressed your biggest problem, which is your offensive lane. And you've, made, you've touched mm -hmm. on the point. You are playing in Orchard Park. Arguably, there is no venue that gets colder than Orchard Park. And I'm speaking as a guy who lives 30 minutes away from Lambeau Field. There is no venue that gets colder and mm -hmm. has more snow than Orchard Park. And you have found a way not to build your football team on either line. This is cra absolutely crazy. Like, 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 what are you doing? That, that is malpractice in Buffalo. The absolute mm -hmm. malpractice. Dereliction of duty. And no, that is what. And we because call of it. that, no, you're having to build this big fancy dome up there because you've built your football team the wrong way. All of this time, you are playing outdoors. When you drafted Josh Allen, you did the right thing, because what a lot of people don't know, they drafted Josh Allen. They went to Wyoming, studied is that the boys had huge hands, so he could throw in every type of weather, perfect. But then we get the boy. What do you do then, Ken? Don't you sit down and say, let's build this offensive line, let's build a strong running game. And everything that's the play action fit because then we can naked bootleg, we can throw everything off the play action because this man has a hell of an arm to throw through the snow. He's big, he's rugged, we can run him through the snow. No, you build a finesse team. Of all things, Ken, you are in the snow in Archard Park and you build a finesse team that is malpractice. You would think that they would have taken a look at what was happening in Baltimore. You, you have a quarterback that can throw the football and also can run the football. So how about we give us an offensive line of help to allow him to play to his strengths? No, and was it they was the number that. one thing they drafted Lamar Jackson? Was the next pick they drafted in the same draft? Okay. Was the next pick? They're going to get Mark Andrews. The very mm. next pick that is to show you what an organization looks like. They say we got this kid. We won't run the football thing. Where we're gonna get a tight end that can block and catch at the same time. Gold, yeah. and that is what I'm talking about. There are organizations that will always be good, and then there are organizations that will always be bad. And they don't have to tell you which end Baltimore and Buffalo end at right now. There you go. All right. So I think we we got a little ranty there just now. So we gonna move off of the gridiron as we, we get ready to wrap this show up for this week. We're going to go to the hardwood. I don't remember if you had an opportunity to say how you felt about the in-season tournament here. No, I did not. So, so tell me, tell me and the viewers, how do you feel about the NBA in-season tournament? I am on the fence, to be quite honest, because I didn't know how it would work. I didn't know how the players' reaction would be to it. And I still haven't watched it in tournament game. 
So what I will say, I am still undecided, so I'll put an N.A. But what I will give the NBA credit for is that they are coming close to the NFL in terms of a marketing machine. And you put in our rundown, the raise in viewership up 30-something percent, right? And that is of no... That is all coincidence, or not coincidence, of no coincidence, because you've seen, I'm sure you've seen the ad, the casino-type ad to the NBA marketing their in-season tournament. And then they got with Nike, and what did they do? More uh, different jerseys for the um, in-season tournament. Then you see the court, the court um, graphics and what it looks like, different court um, layouts and whatever not. Everything to market, to show you this in-season tournament is different from the actual regular season. Initially, I'm not a fan of it, to say the least, but if it works, it works. And this is always, like, this was not for competitive nature, Ken. Make no mistake. We all know this is about money. This is about driving up viewership. And the mere fact that they have done that, when you, as you said, I think, what, 32%? When you've driven up viewership to 32%, you've done your job. So regardless of how I feel about it, that is what you want to do. Your your ultimate goal is viewership, selling jerseys, selling tickets. It has been a success so far. Yeah, yeah. The NBA in-season tournament, clearly, according to the metrics, is a success. Because, as you may mention, the ratings, according to, I don't remember the, the rating agency, but they said that the compared to the average Friday night basketball game, Ratings are up. We're up thirty-two percent in the very first night of the in-season tournament, and it wasn't like if everybody was playing either. It was, I think, the Denver Nuggets played. Um, I don't remember who else played, but however, it shook out. Thirty-two percent increase in viewership shows that people are tuning in, and that is what the NBA is looking for. The NBA before Christmas. Nobody traditionally really, unless you're like a diehard NBA fan, because I follow the NBA season from opening tip all the way to the championship game. But I know that I'm in the minority. You, you're trying to find a way to generate interest in the league and keep people's attention during the football season when, you know, these games typically don't matter. <laughs> So you're going to do whatever you can to try to get people to watch and get people to care. And not just the fans, but the players as well. So when everybody is now looking at, if you win this tournament, you get $500,000 per player for a man like Steph, who has a $40 million contract, $500,000 for winning a game might not matter much to him. But you see the men that's at the end of the bitch. The, man, the, the, the 11th and 12th and 13th man on that roster, $500,000? That is probably like almost half their season salary or in some cases more than half because you got these guys who on two-way contracts, who on these little two-week come and play and then go back to the G League kind of story. And I can tell you the G, like the G League guys don't really make that much money. I've seen G League contracts and I can tell you, Ken, there are some instances I know normal individuals who wait significantly more than G League players. All right, there you go. So that is an incentive in and of itself. Um, I know I've, I've said it here as well in terms of legacy for the upper echelon players. The money is not going to be an incentive, but to say that you have won the inaugural trophy, you are the MVP of the inaugural competition. For somebody like Steph Curry or LeBron James, that matters. That matters a lot, especially like for LeBron because you it's know, about legacy. He, it's all about legacy. He wants to be considered to be the goat. He wants to be bigger and better than Jordan. So, well, there was no in-season tournament when Jordan was there. So, if he can win this, then that's something that he has that Jordan never had. But if Steph wins it, no, then Steph's entire career has been with LeBron and Steph has the league MVP, he has the finals MVP now, he has the first Western Conference finals MVP and then conceivably if the Warriors were to win the tournament he would be the in-season tournament MVP as well which is also another feather in his cap so 
when I see what the NBA is doing, I like it. I know that that's not a universal opinion, but I like it. I like what they're trying to do because they want to make people care about what happens on Tuesdays and Fridays, especially during this point of the season. Because Sundays, Mondays, Thursdays, football got all that scrambled up. So let's grab the days that we can and make something happen for our brand. I love it. What I don't like, though, is these courts, Justin. <laughs> the courts are horrendous. Yeah, to me too. I don't. I'm not fine with them. I saw, I saw the, the the Nuggets court, which is light blue on the outside with gold in the center, and I'm like, whose idea was this? This looks terrible. Like you would want to be turning down the contrast on your TV because mm. you know with with the TVs now that are so vibrant mm-hmm. with color, like. If your TV is not good and you are watching like Chicago at home, for example, you're going to lose the players because it's just going to be too much red. It's just so bright. I understand, like you said, that they're trying to make it seem or look different. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's necessary. And when you consider that these games are not in addition to the 82 that they're playing, these are still coating as regular season games. And where the season wins and losses, as at least in this portion of the tournament, and then when they get to the knockout phase, I think the only teams that play an additional game for the season is those that are playing in the final. Right. Everybody else is still playing the eighty-two. Like, if it's still counting to the regular season type um, total, then maybe these courts are unnecessary. That's just. I agree. That's just the way. But and they're trying to make it different, so. Yeah, well, I mean, right now, so far it's working. So let's see if it will continue. But I know for sure that when we get into the knockout phase of the tournament, where it literally becomes like March Madness, a one-and-done situation, win or go home, that's when people are really going to start to tune in. Because, yeah, we, we care about the playoffs because there's a lot of rides on the playoffs. But it's a seven-game series. The best team you're expected to win in seven games. And this is a one-off game. Any number of madness can happen. So we'll see what occurs when we get to that time. So Justin, look at this. Right on time. We have com- yeah, we've completed our rundown and it's just short of an hour. So I think that's a good spot that we can land <laughs> today's episode. So let the folks know where they can find you before we get out of well, here. Well, you know, I've been on a well, four-month hiatus, you know, but at some point we have to come back, Neil. It's pushing and prodding, and I get a little itchy now, so I've been warming up the, the tonsils, been on a couple of shows for the last week. So eventually when we do come back, hashtag this Justin, make sure to put your hashtag, even though we are the only this Justin once again, the original, the best, and, you know, the most decorated. But um, it is indeed um, not your typical streaming show. Um, we are our typical podcast, should they say. We are only on YouTube, and we are live YouTube show every Monday night. 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, or sorry, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. When we are coming back, it will let you know. Also, for our previous short-form content and all our episodes, you can go back to YouTube. But our previous short-form content, you can still find out on Instagram, you can find out on Facebook, and you can find out on X, formerly Twitter. That's hashtag this just in. Thanks again, Ken, and y'all will be the first to probably know when we are making our comeback. All right. Well, we will definitely be looking out and listening out for that. Um, as you guys know, the Green Bears podcast, we are here every Tuesday. I apologize to everyone in the Caribbean that the class have changed. That was completely out of our control. We wish that it didn't happen, but it did. So right now, the our hours will be slightly different. So for those who are in the Pacific, that is... 5 p.m., 6 p.m., still in the mountain time, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. on the East Coast. But for those of you in the Caribbean, that is now 9 p.m. 9 p.m. until April, I think. Yep, so, yeah, we were hoping that they would have just done it with this daylight saving time, but apparently not. So, yeah, so 9 p.m. in the Caribbean, 6 p.m. here on the mountain top, you will find us, as we always ask you and invite you to do. Just go ahead, like this video, hit the notification bell, 
and subscribe to our channel so that you can be with us every time that we are here. The audio-only version of the podcast goes up as soon as we are finished. YouTube is where you can find it all the time. It's also on Facebook. And it also streams live on X, formerly known as Twitter, but we can't see any comments over there. So if you have comments to make live during the show, please join us either on Facebook or on YouTube. And we will most likely put your comment up for all to see. So again, for this week's episode, we send anniversary greetings to AJ. I hope you're having a great time, my brother. Justin, thank you so much for filling in this week. He is the green today for the Green Beige Podcast. I am Ken. I am the Beige. And we will see you next time.